All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Mayor Bill de Blasio doesn't think you should be able to participate with society unless you've gotten the vaccines that he recommends. Democrats flaunt the mask mandate one minute and then say it's going to be the thing that saves us the next. And we're watching governments all over the country spend money like a drunken sailor, except that drunken sailors only spend their money, whereas governments are spending yours. We're going to be talking about all of this and more on Making the Argument with Nick Freitas, where we make the arguments that help us defend a free society. Okay, so I've spent the last few days down in Richmond. As a member of the Virginia House of Delegates, we were called into special session in order to decide how we were going to spend around $4 billion of federal money that was come in as a part of the COVID relief package. And right now, there's been a, a lot of different debates on how this money should be spent. And obviously, Democrats have one way they want to spend it. Republicans have other ways they want to spend it. And we can certainly argue about which one of those is better. I happen to think that the Republican plan that was offered was actually significantly better than the Democrat plan here in Virginia. But we didn't get much say. In fact, we got two minutes, two minutes to be able to make our case because the Democrats essentially came in and said they would not accept any amendments to the package they were submitting to the Appropriations Committee, which means that they essentially came back, we tried to make some amendments on the floor, they immediately passed them by, we got a total of two minutes to argue for what we thought was a better expenditure, and then it was promptly voted out, and then sent over to the Senate where they're currently going through their own debate. Now, there's a couple of things when we talk about what is going on with this money. So obviously there are a lot of people right now, a lot of interest groups, and I don't say that in pejorative sense because you, know, you can have good interest groups, but are suggesting there's different ways that we should spend this money. And I wanna go over kind of a, what I think is a bad conservative argument and a good conservative argument. So I think part of the bad conservative argument is this idea that this is purely a question of how we're going to spend or allocate money. Now, now, clearly that money's there and clearly it's, it's going to get spent. So we can certainly make that argument, but I think there's another argument that we need to make that's even more profound with respect to what is going on in the country right now. And that has to do with inflation. Okay, and, and whenever we talk about inflation, a lot of conservatives immediately want to go in into having an in-depth conversation about monetary policy, whether it's Milton Friedman's Chicago School, whether it's the Austrian School, I tend to be more on the Austrian side. Um, we all know inflation is bad. Right? We all know inflation is, is bad for the economy because essentially it's a hidden tax. But one of the things I want to encourage conservatives to do when we're talking about inflation is don't just throw it out there. Don't get mired into a, in a deeper monetary policy debate. I, I think those debates are fine and in certain circles they're great. But when we're talking about discussing this with our neighbors, I don't think it's a highly effective way to discuss inflationary monetary policy or the implications that it has for individuals. I think it's much more important to focus on what inflation actually acts as. 
right? It, it's not just simply a question of, okay, the dollar doesn't have as much value. It's not simply a question of the government using the printing press in order to, to flood the economy with, with more dollars in order to kickstart economic growth. The bigger argument here from a fiscal side or, or a budgetary uh, uh, policy side is not just that you, you can't just create money out of thin air and assume that it has the same value as genuine wealth that was created in the economy, right? That's the basic economic principle at play here, right? It's the idea that in, in order for the government to spend money in the first place, it has to first take it from somebody else, it has to first tax it, right? And in order to do that, there has to be a, a healthy economy where productive people are going out there and creating wealth, and then the government confiscates a portion of that. Now, we can argue all day long on what constitutes um, you know, fair taxation or what constitutes uh, legitimate functions of government or legitimate government spending, but there's a bigger issue here, and that is when the government decides that it doesn't want to borrow more money or, or it's restricted from borrowing more money simply because people either don't want to buy bonds or foreign governments don't want to lend to you, or you get into a situation where you can't raise taxes, because obviously right now, if the government were to significantly raise taxes on the, the, the population in general, like it would need to in order to actually do this spending the quote unquote correct way or the fiscally responsible way, there would be a backlash because any new taxes right now are going to throw thwart economic development. So what's the third option available to them? Well, it's easy, they go to the printing press. And they call this, you know, you know, little catchy phrases like quantitative easing. What it essentially means is that the Federal Reserve Bank is now printing out more dollars. Sometimes those dollars just go directly to banks. Sometimes those dollars, uh, you know, go deeper into the economy and start going into circulation. And when that happens, you end up with inflation. And it's important to understand that, again, from a monetary policy perspective, inflation is about monetary policy. The more dollars that are arbitrarily printed and sent out into the economy, the less value your individual dollar has. Okay, so again, that's the, that's the monetary policy, that's the economic argument. But here's the argument that we should be making because I think it's the most powerful. What inflation really is, is a government-imposed tax. It is a hidden tax. It operates like a tax, specifically a tax on savings, and it's a tax that is generally the most, um, it affects people on a fixed income the most. Because if you're someone that has to consistently rely on a certain amount of money that you make, maybe it's from your social security check, maybe it's from uh, savings, maybe it's from the job that you have, and you have to budget around what $40,000, $60,000 will buy you each year. And then all of a sudden, the government prints out more money and throws it into the economy. And now the value of your, your $60,000 is the same. In fact, in some cases, maybe it goes up. Maybe you get a, a raise. And now you're making $65,000 a year. Well, if the $65,000 you're now making only buys what $55,000 would have bought you two years ago or three years ago, you've essentially been taxed. Now, you don't know it. It's not, as if, it's not as if your legislature voted on a tax. It's not as if you can go to your representative and say, why did you raise my taxes? But every time they approve of this sort of monetary policy, and then they get out there and they just start spinning and throwing it into the economy, you are hurt as a result of that. And if we're serious about convincing people how, how bad this really is, then we need to start putting it into terms that everyone understands. And we have a unique opportunity to do that right now because everybody is feeling inflation. We have inflation higher now than it's been in decades. And that is a direct result of Joe Biden or Governor Northam or whoever else just trying to spend federal dollars as much as they possibly can. Just get the money out there, get it in circulation, and that will help the economy. Again, you do not help the economy by simply printing more money. 
You help the economy by creating the parameters where people can produce more. And the argument that they'll make is, well, no, we're investing in infrastructure. We're investing in education. We're investing in tourism. Okay, first of all, the government doesn't invest. The government taxes and redistributes. That's what the government does. And every time it does that, what it is essentially doing is one of two things. Either A, it is taking money out of your pocket so you don't get to spend that money anymore. The government will now spend it on your behalf. And when they are specifically spending it on things that, that do not come and convey any sort of direct benefit to you, or they're now prioritizing government benefits over what you would have prioritized for your own family, they're essentially taking that decision out of your hands and putting it in the hands of politicians. That's one problem. The second problem, and again, this is the one conservatives should hammer on whenever we talk about inflation, is that what this is, is a tax on savings and a tax on people and fixed income. All right, look, if you understand how to work the stock market, you can get around inflationary monetary policy to some degree because you can invest in the right stocks, you can invest in the right hard assets, you can take your money offshore, you can put it into a different currency that's not being inflated, you can do all of those things. But if you're someone that is living paycheck to paycheck, you are getting screwed right now by the same people that tell you that, look, we're spending all this money to help you. Okay, well, their version of helping you is, again, to take decisions out of your hands so you don't get to prioritize your family's decisions anymore. The government will do that for you. And then the second part is, is they are making the value of your dollar. They are decreasing the individual purchasing power of each dollar you have. So even when you think, oh, this is great. I got a 2% raise or a 3% raise. Well, if inflation is over 4%, like it is right now and growing, you are essentially losing money even when you get a raise. And again, the people that are most affected by this, the people that are most harmed by this, are the people that can ill afford it because they depend on the purchasing power of their dollar to buy today what it bought yesterday. And you can't do that. So this inflationary monetary policy is usually done at the benefit at the people that get the money first from the government or the government agencies that spend it. And it is at your expense, namely the expense of the people that cannot afford for the purchasing power of their dollar to decrease. And that is where we need to hammer home on this. Okay, if, if you're talking to, if you're at a think tank somewhere, great. Write a good article on monetary policy, really dig in, that's wonderful, we need all of that. But if you're talking to your neighbor, this is a hidden tax on the people that can least afford it. That is what this is. So as politicians are out there bragging about how much money the government is handing out, you need to remember that any short-term gain that might be recognized as a result of the government just throwing money out there that it printed, is overwhelmingly going to be decreased by the long-term negative effects of the fact that your dollar no longer goes as far as it does. Right? That's the, that is the good argument that we need to make when we're talking to our friends, our family, our, our, our friends at work, when we're talking to other voters and they're looking at all this government spending and thinking it might be a good idea, we need to remind them how this spending is actually taking place through inflation and what it's actually going to mean for them when they go to the grocery store or they got to get their car fixed or they got to go get school supplies for their kids, right? It is, not the, the, it is not a fiscally appropriate way for the government to spend money. And the government's the only entity that can get away with this. I'll tell you right now, you go into your basement and you start printing out dollar bills in order to stimulate the economy, yeah, you're going to jail. But the same government that is doing this will lock you in jail if you do the same thing. In some ways, that's a good indicator of whether or not this is sound monetary policy. Okay, but that's exactly what they're doing. Let's go on to our next point, because I think this one is interesting, the mask mandates. So we got Bill de Blasio tweeting out that you should not get to participate in society unless you've had the vaccine. 
and he wants to put into he wants to put mandates in place that would essentially prevent you or make it significantly more difficult for you to participate in society. Now, there's an obvious argument here with the fact that who the heck gave Bill de Blasio the power to decide who gets to operate within society without like genuine due process of law. We're not talking about somebody that like held up a bank, right, or killed somebody. We're now saying that if you don't get the vaccine Bill de Blasio thinks you should get, then he wants to significantly limit through the power of government your power to interact, engage in commerce, or just be a member of society. All right, I don't know who the hell gave him that power, but he seems to think he has it. And he's going to exercise, he's, he's going to advocate for the exercise of that kind of power in order to achieve that. All right, but here's what I think is specifically interesting about the mass beta. Here, here, right off the bat, what I think is so comical about this. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got caught with doing this. She went in, she was taking a picture with a bunch of people. What did she do? She put on the mask for the picture. As soon as the cameras went away, mask went off. I'll give you, I'll give you another example of this personal experience right here in Virginia. Today, when we showed up, when we showed up on Monday for the special session, right, almost all the Democrats were wearing masks, whether they were vaccinated or not. Most of the Republicans were not wearing masks, right, because we, we were, we were immunized, uh, immunized or vaccine or whatever. And then halfway through the day, they bring in all of these little, these little plastic, these clear plastic things they put on each one of our desks. So literally, I'm sitting right here. I can touch the person on my left, touch the person on my right, but then there's this little plastic shield in front of me. Right, that's supposed to, I guess, I don't know, significantly cut down on, on transmission of COVID, despite the fact that pretty much everyone in that building is vaccinated or, or otherwise immunized. But what happened today on Wednesday? Because this was interesting. On Wednesday, we were taking the picture that the House of Delegates takes every two years right, for that session. Well, what happened? Do you, do you think they kept all the little plastic barriers up? Do you think everybody was wearing their mask? No, 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 no. They came in, put the picture, the camera up. All the, all the plastic barriers went away. All the Democrats, I think, except maybe for one, took off their mask and sat there and smiled and talked and, and giggled with one another while we took a picture. And then, and then when, when that went out, mask went back on. And so here's my question. Did, did COVID know? Did COVID know we were taking a picture? I don't think it did. But, but that's the way this sort of thing gets pushed. It ends up becoming a signal of virtue signaling. And look, we're going to go, again, once again, bad conservative argument, good conservative argument. You have some conservatives that are saying masks are absolutely worthless. You have some conservatives saying that the government should come in and not only should they not mandate masks, but they should tell everybody else that nobody uh, can mandate masks. All right. I, I think there's some problems with this and I'm going to go over it real quick. First of all, are masks worthless? It completely depends on the mask. Right? It completely depends on, on what you're wearing. Now, if you're wearing just a standard cloth mask, doctors under the um, uh, Biden administration and the CDC and Fauci himself have questioned the overall benefits or efficacy of cloth masks in many situations. What they've essentially said is they've relied on studies with respect to droplets, and they've said that, okay, well, a cloth mask might not do, you know, might, might not do a lot, but it's better than nothing. Okay, fair enough. Better than nothing. If you really want a mask that's going to do something, you need to get something like an N95 mask, and then you have to change it out repeatedly. Okay, so here's my question. Is that what my Democrat colleagues were doing today? Were, were they, did they come in one day with an N95 mask and then come in the next day with a new one? No, it's the same cloth mask day after day after day. Now, does that provide a lot of benefit? I'm not saying it provides no benefit, but I do find it interesting that it seems that even they understand that, oh, we're going to take a picture now? Oh, well, I want my face in the picture. I'm going to take the mask off. Well, if you're, if you're going to tell us all that literally 
businesses should shut people out or kids shouldn't return to school or you shouldn't be allowed to enter certain buildings unless you have a mask on. And then you're going to go into an environment like this wearing that mask and then take it off as soon as you find it convenient because you want a good picture. I'm going to start to question how much you really believe what you're selling. So again, I, I'm not saying, I'm not making the argument that masks do nothing. I am making the argument that it seems a little suspicious that you think they're the end-all be-all when it suits you, and then you ignore it when it doesn't. And then you're not really following the science with respect to not just masks, but mask mandates. There's a very, there's a very big distinction here, too, between just wearing a mask and a government-imposed mask mandate. Do government-imposed mask mandates really achieve the sort of benefits that we're led to expect by watching the news? And again, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm saying go look at the data for yourself. Go look at for the data for yourself and ask whether or not you see any significant difference with respect to those states which impose hardcore mask mandates and those that do not, or they make it more optional. So again, I think the bad conservative argument is we shouldn't be going around saying that masks do nothing because it really depends on what mask you have and how you're going about wearing it. Right? It can, and in certain groups, it can be more beneficial. In certain settings, it can be more beneficial. The other argument that I have a problem with is when we're coming in and saying, well, the government should tell, you know, if the government wants to tell government agencies they can't impose mask mandates, I understand that because the government is responsible for the agencies that it directly controls. Now, if you come in and say that the, business, that the government can tell a private business or a private institution that they're not allowed to require masks, I want you to understand something. We're running into a problem there. And the problem that we're running into is that now you're getting government into the business of, of telling private entities how they should operate. We're not making suggestions anymore. Now it's the government coming in and saying you can't do something. Now listen, I know a lot of people are going to respond to this and say, Nick, I don't care because the government is already telling businesses all sorts of things that they have to do to conduct themselves. What's one more thing? Well, I would argue that it's actually significant because now you're using a left-wing argument to try to achieve a conservative end. And that never seems to work well for us. All right, so the idea of the government coming in and saying, look, we're not going to allow government institutions to impose mass mandates. We're not going to require businesses to impose mass mandates or schools to impose mass mandates. Okay, I, that all makes sense to me. But the moment you tell a business that for whatever reason, and maybe they have a good one, that they want you to wear a mask, now we're getting involved in telling a business owner what they can do with their private property. And if you're willing to accept that paradigm with masks, the left's going to come in and say, well, great, well, then we, we can accept it with all sorts of other things that we've now considered um, important because now the government's the one in charge of telling businesses how to run their business. And yes, I know the government is already doing this in, in many factors, but that is problematic in many factors. And so I don't think we need to be using their line of reasoning in order to achieve, achieve what we believe is a positive end. So what's the good conservative argument here? Well, again, the good conservative argument goes back to the idea that the government uses force to impose itself on other people. And so we have to ask the question here. If, if, it, if an individual person wants to wear a mask, right, maybe they're wearing it correctly, right? Maybe they've got the right kind of mask, they're wearing it correctly. Maybe they've got comorbidities and they want to take that additional precaution. They should be free to do that. I got absolutely no problem with that. That is your business. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Right? But when the government oversteps its boundaries and to start telling people what you must do, and, and in this case, making these sort of arguments based off of very, very shoddy data, that's problematic. Now you're going too far. And the same thing works with things like vaccine passports. If, if the CDC wants to go out and encourage people to get vaccines, I understand that. 
If we want to make it easier for people to, who want vaccines to get vaccines, I completely understand that. But for the government to now come in and say, we're going to force you to inject yourself with something that hasn't even passed all of the typical procedures that the FDA requires, even if it's effective, that's a bridge too far. That's a bridge too far. Now what you're saying is that you no longer have bodily autonomy with respect to what goes into your body. That's going to be decided for some politicians. And for everybody on the left out there that thinks this is hysterical, I want you to, I want you to ask yourself something, all right? Because I, last time I checked, you are every bit as concerned about big pharma as a lot of us are on the, on the conservative side. If you don't think that this is being used to lay the ground in the future for big pharma to lobby heavy on why other vaccines must be mandated by law. You have to get them in order to engage in, in society. You're out of your mind. So the good conservative argument here is that this is not a question. Ultimately, for us, this is not a question about whether or not you want to wear a mask or don't want to wear a mask. It's not a question of whether or not you want to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine. It's a question of what can the government compel you to do by law? And we need to understand that the more we allow the government to do some of these things, the more they get addicted to this sort of power. And if they can do it in the name of, of emergency powers, or if they can do it in the name of public health, understand they will find a public health reason to do just about anything they want. And as conservatives, we don't need to buy into that sort of argument to force the government to achieve things that we want. We need to be arguing for greater individual liberty. And by the way, on the left, you want more people to get vaccines? You want people to wear masks? Great. Put out clear, comprehensive data and don't do it in a way that is so politically skewed that we don't feel like we can trust it. Don't say one thing in private emails, Dr. Fauci, and then say something else to the general population. When we ask for data making logical comparisons with respect to things like natural immunization from people that have already had COVID versus the vaccine, right, don't hide information from us because you've already decided on the policy position. Put all the information out there, allow free people to make decisions that work best for them. That's the good conservative argument. That's the good conservative argument. All right, let's move on to our next point here. Um, there was an Iranian immigrant shut down at a school board meeting. She was discussing critical race theory. She was discussing uh, socialism, went on Fox News and talked about it some more. The video went viral because as she was talking, the school board, a school board member actually got up, ran around and like ripped the microphone off the podium in front of her. Now, Again, I think this is highly problematic for a number of reasons. One, look, I, I've sat there and I've listened to people that yelled at me, that screamed at me, that were very upset with me. And I do that. Why? Because I'm an elected representative. And if I agree or if I disagree, provided that they're, they're following the rules with respect to the discourse that is set down for that meeting, they get to do that. Right? And just because you don't like it or just because you're offended doesn't mean you get to walk up as an elected official and rip the microphone away. All right, but as we get into this larger issue of critical race theory, once again, I want to go into bad conservative argument, good conservative argument. So one of the arguments that I'm seeing right now pop up in a lot of conservative circles is it's this generic talk about banning critical race theory. Now, I think what most conservatives mean when they say that is they don't think critical race theory should be taught to elementary school students or middle school uh, students or high school students. If you want to teach it in a college class, that's fine. But if you're going to teach it in a public school, that's what they have a problem with. And I think there's a good argument for that. What you need to understand, though, is that even if you were to get it banned as a, as a topic, which there's a reason why the left keeps coming out and saying there is no critical race theory in your public school. There's no, there's, it's not on your syllabus. It's not in the curriculum. 
And the reason why they can get away with saying this in a lot of circumstances is because it's not like they have history 101 critical race theory. What ends up happening is teachers are going to all these different seminars where critical race theory is being either pushed through teachers unions or mandated by state law that they go through different sensitivity training or, or historical training, which is heavily influenced by the 1619 Project on Critical Race Theory. And then what ends up happening is they go back to their classroom and they teach whatever subject they have through the lens of critical race theory, which is a far more pernicious way to get it into the classroom than it just teaches a theory compared to other theories. But the reason why I say it's a bad argument to make this generic statement about banning critical race theory is because ultimately what it does is it empowers the other side to come back and say, oh, you're afraid of the truth. And you respond back like, well, no, it's not the truth. Well, then why, why, won't you allow it to, why won't you allow that to be considered just like you'd like something else? And then the conservative comes in and goes, well, we want the 1776 project. The bad, the, the, what makes this a bad argument is that anytime you talk about generically banning something, it makes it look like you're afraid of it or that you can't defend your position. And so you just want to remove it from the public sphere. Now, I get that that is not what most conservatives mean when they talk this way, but if we're not careful in the language that we use, when we make our argument, we will be caricatured and that is all that we'll play. So the, the, the good conservative argument here is twofold. One, when we discuss critical race theory, yes, it, it is perfectly fine to have a problem with this being pushed either on our teachers as part of their training or in our curriculum with our students. Because it, it, is, it is just that, it's just a theory. But unfortunately, a lot of times it is being portrayed as this, this is fact. And therefore, teachers have a great deal of pressure in order to teach their classes in a way and then teach their classes through the lens of critical race theory. Yes, that's problematic. I completely agree with the parents that are frustrated with that and are trying to stop that. But there is a larger argument to be made here that I think is a much better and stronger conservative argument, and that is this. One, our objective is not to say, we don't want you to teach critical race theory. We want the government to mandate the 1776 project. The moment you say that, the moment you engage in that kind of argument, you have, you have seeded the fact that the government is now in charge of deciding what your child's curriculum is. You have com completely conceded the fundamental argument that they want the most, which is to say that the government should be the ones that are controlling and monopolizing education in this country, and they should be the ones deciding what the curriculum looks like. They are all, they are all for that. Because they realize that if you accept that paradigm, they may win some battles, they may lose some battles, but either way, the foundational principle, which is informing all of our child's curriculum has already been decided and we've just agreed to it. And now it's just a battle of who's in office and what are we going to impose? So what's the, what is the better conservative argument here? The better conservative argument, very simply, why don't we just have more choice? Why don't we just have more choice within education? Why don't we have a variety of educational opportunities? Why can't tax dollars follow students? Why can't a parent that decides, you know what? I'm not comfortable with what's going on in this school. I'm gonna get my child education somewhere else and I want a tax credit to recognize that I am spending the same amount of money or maybe even more money in order to get my child a quality education. But I no longer trust a government entity to impose a curriculum on me. I don't like the way the government controls teachers in the classroom. I don't like the fact that the public school system has drastically increased the number of administrators, which means that there's less pay available for teachers. And so I'm going to take my child and I'm going to find them the educational opportunities that work best for their individual needs, wants, and desires. I'm going to pay for it. And then the government's going to give me a tax credit against what I would be paying to have my child educated within a public school. Once you've done that, now all of a sudden the fundamental nature of the argument changes. 
right? We're no longer arguing within their paradigm, which is the government will choose, so what will the government impose? Now we're arguing within a paradigm of, you know what? Okay, we'll even accept that the government will assist. The government will make sure that everybody has money to be able to get their child a quality education, but if a parent chooses to take them out of that particular system and put them into a different system, which they think will perform better for their child, well, now I'm not imposing anything on you. If you want to take your child to a school that teaches critical race theory, you can do that. I'm not imposing my will on you. I'm letting you, I'm letting you do what you think is best for your children, and I'm going to do what I think is best for my children. You're using your tax dollars, I'm using my tax dollars. That's the paradigm that we want. That's the paradigm we want because that's the one that not only fosters greater individual choice and individual liberty, that's also the one that actually allows for an entire marketplace of education. It was fascinating to me the other day going to a homeschool fair where I walk in and there are just a multitude of options, elementary, middle school, high school, and a multitude of different classes that I can't even imagine getting in the public school these, school, uh, schools these days. Right, and, and I have the ability as a parent to look at that and say, well, gosh, I, I, can take, I can take some classes for this because I really like this, but gosh, that's really interesting. I would love for my son or daughter to have an opportunity to learn this particular skill set, or I would like to try that out. It, and essentially what it was is that now instead of being told what my curriculum would be, I as a parent was empowered to find the classes, the courses, the curriculum, the teachers that would work best for my child based off of what their educational needs are and what their future economic ambitions are whether they be higher education, whether they be going into a trade, whether they be doing some other sort of economic activity. I can now have, I am now empowered to decide what would look best for them. And guess what? Empowering me to do that doesn't force any other parent to do something they don't want to do. So bad conservative argument is accepting the paradigm that the left is giving us right now, that the government will control all of this and it's simply a fight over what the government will impose versus our paradigm, which is, you choose for your child, I'll choose for my child. And we can allow the best ideas to rise at the top. And oh, by the way, if you're looking for a system that will work incredibly well for teachers, I want you, I want you to think about something real quick because we've already seen what happens to teachers within the government model. They are inundated with government mandates, sometimes funded, sometimes not funded. They have to spend a significant amount of their schedule just complying with these, fun, these mandates in order to get funds. And they, they don't feel like they have any control over their classroom. Not to mention the fact that they've increased the number of administrators so much that a significant portion of school budgets goes to administrators and infrastructure rather than the teachers and to the curriculums that our kids actually want. So in this model, we have a system where now when parents are more empowered, do you think a parent's going to send a child to a school that brags about how many high-paid administrators it has? Or do you think it's going to go to the school with great teachers that are well compensated for what they do with a variety of course curriculum? That, that you, can, you can pull together in order to get your child exactly what they need. That is the paradigm we want to argue under. All right, so let's just do a quick recap of everything, all right? So the first thing, when we talked about the inflation component, it's not that it's, I, I should rephrase this, it's not that it is a bad conservative argument to get into the weeds about monetary policy, all right? It's just that we need to understand it depends on the audience that you're talking to. And a much better argument when we talk about the dangers of inflation is to talk about the people that are hurt versus the people that benefit from this. The people that benefit from inflationary spending are the politicians that look like they're doing you a great favor by spending all this money without raising your taxes, okay? And the people that know how to manipulate the stock market with respect to an inflationary uh, economy, high inflation economy. 
The people that are hurt the most by this are people on a fixed income, whether it be Social Security or someone that relies on their wages or their salary to get them through. They're the ones that are going to lose purchasing power because the more money that you just arbitrarily print off and throw into the economy, the less value each dollar you have has. Right, so that's, that's the argument that we really should focus on when we're explaining the dangers of all this inflationary spending that's taking place. All right, mask mandates, bad conservative argument. This is not about the government telling people what to do. Right, this is not about us saying that you know, masks don't work or vaccines don't work. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the, the problem that we have is not someone wanting to wear a mask. The problem that we have is not someone wanting to get a vaccine. The problem that we have is the government coming in and now saying, we will now punish you by law if you don't do what we tell you. And if you don't think that Big Pharma will manipulate this time and place in history in order to get a lot of other things added to the government-mandated vaccines, you're out of your mind. We know they will. So that is a great argument to make to someone where now all of a sudden this is not about whether you should or whether you shouldn't. This is about whether the government should impose or not impose and what sort of precedent are we setting with respect to not only government's relation to the people, but how certain industries can now manipulate government to compel you by law to buy their product. Otherwise, the government's going to shut you out of the economy or society in general. Right? That's, the, that's the argument to make when we're talking about these mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Right? We just don't want it. You take it if you want it, wear it if you want it. The government doesn't have a place compelling you by law to do it. Okay? And then finally, with this critical uh, race theory, the more we talk about banning critical race theory, the more it looks like we're afraid of a theory. All right, I'm not afraid of a bad theory. I want to the, way to, the way to beat a bad idea is with a good one. What we don't want is this idea that it's going to now be imposed either on our teachers or our students, either through curriculum or through the teacher training that they're going through. We don't want our teachers in a position where they feel like they have to teach their subjects through the lens of critical race theory. Not critical race fact, critical race theory. But the best argument for that is not to say, oh, I want to ban this and impose this. Again, you ban this, impose this, you've already given into their paradigm, and they're willing to accept the occasional loss if it means they get what they want in the end. But if we shift the paradigm to mean you get to use your tax dollars for your child the way you want, I get to use my tax dollars for my child the way I want. That's an argument which says I'm not imposing my belief on you, but I'm also not allowing you to impose your belief on me. And if they're not willing to accept that, then who are the tyrants? If, we're not willing to, if they're not willing to accept that, who's really the oppressed versus the oppressor? Because I'm not oppressing anyone. I'm not oppressing anyone by saying that if you want to send your child to a particular school, go for it. Not my, not my job to tell you not to. But you don't get to do that to me. And if you do, you're the one engaging in oppression. Not me. All right, I want to thank you all very much for joining us for this episode of Making the Argument. Hope this was helpful. Make sure that you leave us comments, either on Facebook, YouTube. Those are the two best places to leave us comments. Also, please consider checking out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. The more you, The more you listen, the more you watch, the more you share, the more you comment. Right, the more reach we get and the, the more we're able to refine this program in order to make it successful you, in order to once again equip us with the arguments that we need to advocate for a free society. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument, and thank you for joining us.
Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.